Before I get started, unless you are sick, I need for everyone to look at me. Everyone. Whatever is preventing or may prevent you from entering into the things of God, I want you to press right now. That all those things that are up in your mind, in my mind, in our hearts, uh, that's saying, no, I'm not even trying to hear that. I want you to press through right now. And the reason I'm saying that, because I see it. That's why I stepped down, because I see it. And I want you to walk in freedom. I want you to walk in freedom, whatever is in your heart. It ain't got nothing to do with that other issue. It ain't got nothing to do with that. Uh, you see, uh, the message that I am preaching today, this was ready for you last week. So the Lord changed my heart last week. So you are here indeed by divine appointment. I want you to know that. So I'm praying for you right now. Let it go. Can you say that? Say, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Say it again. Last time together we were introduced to this topic of spiritual warfare by hearing about and engaging in the message about uh, that there were two kingdoms at war. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. But one thing about a spiritual war is that it is invisible. You can't see it. Sometimes you don't know what's actually going on. An invisible war is much like uh, walking down south at nighttime. And I'm talking about walking down south, maybe not so much now, but in years past. I remember, and I may have shared this with you years ago, being down south and having to walk uh, from my uh, uncle's house uh, to my grandmother's house alone uh, at about 8 o'clock at night, and it was pitch black. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is the city. I'm going to be okay. And it is pitch black. And I was scared. I was really scared. So the invisible war is much like that in the deep south. You can't necessarily see what's going on, but you always know there's something out there. So because things are not as they seem, we may feel uneasy and uncomfortable. Why? Due to that uncertainty. One of the tactics that uh, terrorists uh, currently use, they've been using this for, for several years now, but one of the things that they have learned to do was to blend in with the rest of society. Remember the days when people would have a war? I would dress up in my uniform, and my enemy, they would dress up in their uniform, right? And then we would come and we stand in front of each other and start shooting at each other, and we always knew who the enemy was. But now in the Middle East, the terrorists have said, well, no, let's get rid of all these uniforms. 
We want to look just like everybody else. Uh, so they uh, got rid of their military garb. You know, all those uh, camouflage uh, clothing and helmets. It's really easy to spot. Uh, but uh, the terrorists said that, you know what, in order for us to work, it is necessary for us to look like them. We must look like them. Because you see, if we look like them, then we can let them get to, as close to us as they want to. And because we are not always as spiritually discerning as we should or could be, we tell them, well, come on. Not knowing that uh, they have their hand on a spiritual knife and they are ready to take us apart. So when we are involved in this invisible spiritual war, as Paul has said, I've told you before, we must not be ignorant. We must not be unaware of his tactics. But yet, how does this comfort us? I mean, how does this make me feel better? Okay, now uh, you're telling me there's an enemy out here, and, and he's here, and he's there, and you're telling me that he looks like everything around me. Is that supposed to make me feel better? I know it don't make you feel better, but nevertheless, it is a fact, and it increases the level of uncertainty in your heart. Uh, because some folks, uh, they become so paranoid, they start looking around, uh, is the devil there? Uh, uh, is the devil back here? Everywhere they're looking, they're, they're thinking, uh, the devil is here and the devil is there. Well, number one, the devil is not God. Uh, the devil is not omnipresent. Which means, if you don't know what that means, what? Uh, he, he's not everywhere. The devil is a created being who also must answer to God. So we hear stories and we see firsthand uh, for ourselves the, the spiritual carnage that's laid waste on this earth. In our families, on our jobs, and even in church, this war is in motion. So today I want you to again to trust God. I want us all to learn from him. Be delivered and walk in the full confidence of whose you are, if you are Christ. So let us hear from God's word concerning the spiritual battle that we are a part of, whether you like it or not, in which we must engage in. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Many of you know this because you uh, hear me cite this all the time, right? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. 
The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Spiritual battles can't be fought using conventional means. You hear what I'm saying? I'll say it again if you missed it. Spiritual battles can't be fought using conventional means. One great misunderstanding many people make is they assume that when they uh, encounter a problem in their life that their problem is that person. They assume that he's my problem or she's my problem or they are my problem. Recall again from the last message in which you heard uh, that there are two kingdoms at war. And the bottom line in this place right now, you are either on one side or the other. And you may say, I didn't sign up for anything. Well, uh, if you didn't make a decision, then you were drafted. If you did not make a decision for Jesus Christ, then you were drafted. No, not into the kingdom of God. You were drafted into the kingdom of darkness. You are there by default. By your very existence, you have made or are making a declaration of your allegiances in this invisible war. Some people, when they begin to engage in the word of God and God begins to speak to them, uh, uh, what do they do? Uh, what do they do? Let me play a game. Let me, let me play a game on my I this or I that's. Because, again, I'm not even trying to hear that. And I'm telling you, when you hear the word of God and your first inclination is to do something else, if your first inclination is to set your mind on something else, you are under attack. You say, I don't see nobody. It ain't nobody telling me to do nothing. But you better believe. That if your inclination is to check your email when you're in church, I don't care how much you like the preacher or don't like him. God's word is God's word. And we must submit ourselves to it. Which side are you on? Yet if we think for a moment, uh, it makes sense that blaming people is part of our problem, right? Uh, it makes sense because when we experience trouble, it's always folks in my way. Oh, I'm just mad. I can't, right? I can't even worship God because, you know, a so-and-so, this, that, and the other. Can't even get there. If you have uh, had trouble on the job, it has uh, been typically, it's people who have caused that problem, we think, and all we could do or hope is that uh, they would get fired. Been there, right? And then the next thing you know, they fire you.
happens in school. Children are being bullied all over the place. And if you've ever been bullied, I want you to know that when I was in elementary school, I knew a whole lot of folks who got bullied and it never made the news. But why do we blame people? We blame folks because we see them. Ain't nobody else around, so I guess you you my problem. In other words, we only blame those folks who are right in front of us. In the natural, in the normal course of our existence, uh, things are the way they appear. You know, this is wood, it's hard, you know, that's what it is. It ain't nothing else. So if we can't see or if we can't observe things, then our tendency is to dismiss it altogether. So in a spiritual battle, if you assume that people are the ones you are battling against, then you will always attempt to use the weapons that people use to fight. They are my problem, ultimately, so I need to go to my boss. He is my problem, so therefore I need to get somebody else to get him. See? Start pulling all these layers away, and there's something else. There's something else in which we must be discerning about. On a basic level, we try to outmaneuver people by using our wits to corner them or, or gather a group of people together to gang up against them. And I remember when I was in high school, I had this guy, he was, I, I, just, I just had trouble. I, I pretty much sailed through high school. In my last year, I had, I had this one guy. He was, he, was, he was my thorn in the flesh. And part of it, part of it was just he was just jealous. And, uh, and everywhere I turned, he always had something to say. And then one time, being an immature young man, I just, you know, as a little guy, I just pushed him out of the way, and I just went on about my business. I mean, physically, I pushed him out of the way. I said, get out of my way. Then... The next day, I was on my way home from big old school. We had about 4,000 students at our school. And, um, and I got ready to go home, and I opened up the main door to school, just, you know, going about my business, not thinking about anything, just happy-go-lucky senior in high school, right? You know what that is, right? I was happy-go-lucky senior in high school. And I opened up the door, and I see him standing outside. There was about 10 guys with him, and they were just looking at me. So what did I do? I'm bad, right? I grabbed that door handle and I closed it real fast and I went back into the school. <laughs> and then I bent over like this and said, what you going to do now, David? So then I started walking around. Uh, yeah, this time I knew a lot of folks. I said, you know, uh, I need to see you. I need your help. I need your help. So this guy, I need your help. So by the time, uh, don't know, he knows what I'm talking about because he went to the same high school, uh, but I think he went like 20 years before me. Is that right? Uh, uh, so, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, no, no, that's not, that's not. Um, so next thing I know, I'm walking down the hallway. I got 50 guys with me. It took me like 10 minutes to do this. And then I open up the door. Then I walk out there. And I look at, then I look at them like that. And they just dissipate in a cloud. But see, my problem was really not him. It really was. That really was a spiritual battle. 
but the difficulty is that when we are immature, when we are young, we're not patient enough or even willing enough to ask God what's going on. Because you see, God, God would have, instead of trying to gather, you know, 50 guys with me, right, and be all bad, and it could have, you know, there would have been carnage all over the place, right? Instead of doing that, God would have given me wisdom to say, you know what, you, know, you just need to go ahead, you need to report this guy. But I'm thinking like, well, I ain't going to be no punk, right? And that, and that was all, that's the wrong mentality, because that mentality will get you killed, so if you try to fight people and it is a spiritual battle, you will die. You will die. So you must, we must fight a different way. Some folks figure out the way that I may fight is I'm just going to curse them out. You see, if I cursed them out or talked loudly enough, then I would have won the battle. Guess what? You are still wrong. Because in your, your fight, you are dishonoring God. So if you have to dishonor God in order to get into a fight, then you are fighting according to the flesh. And when you fight according to the flesh, then you may suffer a fleshly consequences of fight, fighting according to the flesh. At the end of the day, what does all of this get us? You know, we may try to set them straight, but that's nothing. This is why when we look at some of our struggles with people, we must oftentimes look deeper. And oftentimes it will become clearer and more obvious to us. So though we interact with people and we are engaged with people all the time, we will struggle with them at times and know that this is an invisible war for which we will engage whether we want to or not. We must uh, not therefore make the assumption that when we have a problem that automatically it is the person in the way. It may not be them. In fact, it could be you. Going on to verse 4. Our weapons originate in God and rely on his power to destroy spiritual resistance. Our weapons originate in God and rely on his power to destroy spiritual resistance. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So our weapons are created and resourced in God's power. The Christian Standard Bible says it this way. The weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. As we read through our passage for today, we realize that it speaks of the warfare weapons, but never gives us any indicator what those weapons are. Take a look. Look at the whole passage. It says that we're fighting this invisible war, and we have weapons to do this, that, and the other, but it never tells us what those weapons are. This is one of those points in which uh, some well-meaning uh, believers construct their, their version of what they think those weapons are. Well, what I'm going to do is when I see the devil, I'm just going to, you know, they get in church, right? I'm just going to hit them and I'm going to hit them, bang. 
I've seen people in church, oh, there's the devil. Here we go. Bam, I'm going to kick him. Come on, kick the devil with me. And then when they get home, they're defeated. Because you can't fight a spiritual battles with the bottom of your shoe. Save your energy to, to walk around the block about ten times. And here it is. I'm not going to wait to the end to give this to you. I'm going to give it to you now. The weapon of our warfare in our passage today. Here it is. Here's a secret. The word of God. Here it is. And no, I'm not talking about a grabbing this thing and then when you, have a, you see somebody who's calling you a problem, taking your Bible and throwing that at them. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about taking the word of God and hiding it in your heart. Memorizing, eating God's word up. Uh, so uh, you don't always have to do every time you come to a problem or you're dealing with a, a spiritual issue. You say, wait a minute, now what was that verse again? Uh, uh, you ain't got time for that. What they say, ain't nobody got time for that. Because when, when the battle becomes intense, you need to draw up what's in you. And if you ain't got nothing there, you are in trouble. Well, I have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that, that's good. And the Holy Spirit will guide you. He will protect you. But God's word also tells us that your word have I hidden in my heart. Right? It says, goes on to say, so that I may not sin against thee, but nevertheless, it is his word that is the bread of life in us. It is his word that gives us strength and clarity so we may see. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You see, the Word of God says that it, it is the one that discerns the hearts and minds of folks, including ours. So within it, God's Word begins to well up in us when we are, are approaching the situation. Other times, God, He does want you to simply do, just depend upon you, uh, upon Him. So whereas this particular verse here, Hebrews 4.12, uh, that it may not be the primary uh, scriptural weapon we use in the heat of battle. It is the foundation uh, of God's word for engaging in that battle. It is foundational. God, he tells us here, he says, 412, this is it. Right? When you think about uh, the whole, the full armor of God, uh, there's only one offensive weapon, and that is the sword. Right? And what is that sword? It's telling us here. What is that sword? It's what? So if you are struggling at home, if you are struggling on the job at school or anywhere else, it is not the newest app that's going to help you. It is going to be the Word of God. You want to see restoration in your household? 
Start with God's word first. So as you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are authorized to use God's word to make it through those struggles. And I know that you may say now, I only know just a little bit of scripture. But I tell you, even if you know a little bit, use what you have. But also, this should encourage you to memorize God's word, to begin to commit it into your heart. Why do we need to commit scripture to memory and place it in our hearts? First, we realize it is necessary for the invisible war, that it is already at work around us. The war is already uh, intensifying around us. Secondly, we need his word because uh, God promises that his word will not return to him void. You see that? He promises that his word is not going to return void to him. So in other words, in other words, when his word goes forth, it is going to produce fruit. It's not going to stay stagnant. You know, like when you walk up to someone, you tell them hi, like they say hi, and that's it. Uh, but uh, when we come to God's word, we are faced with a situation, and we're in the midst of a battle, and we say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It is God and his word that is only able to protect you. So the purpose now uh, of this weapon, uh, the, the purpose of, of, of this word is to do what? To destroy strongholds. Verse 4 tells us that we destroy strongholds. What does scripture mean by stronghold? A stronghold or fortress, uh, they are buildings, a structure which an army constructs in order to defend its land and its people and to fend off an enemy during an attack, but also to designate an expansion of his rule, uh, of his rule in the land. So when there's peace in the land, what does he do? He goes up and he puts up strongholds all over the place. In other words, when you let your guard down, if you do not belong to Jesus Christ, then uh, very covertly the enemy can be, he may be trying to set up a different outpost in your life. Hmm. Some of the images that we have seen are castles. Remember castles that have uh, kings and queens and knights during the Middle Ages? We see these castles, and uh, they're built well, and they're strong and almost impenetrable. You, uh, if you live near or around that castle, you are only truly safe only if you were inside. So a stronghold can also be just an area of land which is defended. We talked about that before, by an army. In this case, they simply set up camp. If there are armed troops locked arm in arm, uh, you don't need to have a castle because you know those troops are going to defend you. This is why my request to God when I pray, when I'm operating in this and I know things are going on, I pray that God may send a legion of angels to surround you. This is why I pray this. I want those angels to lock arm in arm 
so that when that enemy tries to come in, uh, like a flood, uh, uh, God will lift up a standard against him. But what's also interesting about strongholds, check this out, right? What's also interesting about a stronghold is that it's been called a stronghold, but they have also called it a fortress, right? Strongholds equal sign fortress, the same thing. <laughs> check this out. Stronghold not only keeps the enemy out, but can also keep you in. In other words, the enemy may set up a stronghold in your life to prevent you from walking in freedom of God. So in other words, stronghold, this very same word that's used for stronghold and fortress in Scripture, is also used in the language for prison. I got to ask you this question because I know you're saying, ask me, ask me, ask me now. Here it is. Has God set up a stronghold in your life to keep the enemy out? Or has the devil set up a stronghold in your life to keep you from freedom? Ask yourself. Reflect on that. Now we know that we are in a spiritual battle with an enemy that is invisible and covert, and that we have a God-designed weapon, his word, to battle this invisible enemy. Now let's take a quick look at the things that we would destroy with our weapons. What are the strongholds we destroy? Verses 5 and 6. Back in 2 Corinthians 10. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. The strongholds that are present, for which Paul had been referring to, he was fighting against, were, were built against the knowledge of God. These were the strongholds that Paul is talking about. Right? I'm not saying that there's uh, no other things that are going on. So these strongholds, in, 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 I would say in this case, were things that were trying to imprison people. But Paul is saying, we're trying, we're trying to tear all this down. These were arguments and lofty opinions that were being set up as strongholds in the minds of people, uh, preventing them from understanding or coming to a saving knowledge and the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. So if you're sitting in this place again, I, I've already started there, right? And you're saying, I'm not even trying to hear this. I'm, my mind is on something else. Stronghold. You're trying to figure out a strong, you know, yeah, 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 I hear what he's saying. But look here, I, I, there's a stronghold in your life right now. These arguments are speculations. These are technical terms. Uh, for this rhetorical or philosophical reasoning. Uh, you try to construct and build things up that will resist God's word. In other words, when God's word says, you are free, a little voice in the back of your mind says, again, 
I ain't trying to hear that. You are free. We must accept God's word by faith. If you want to walk in freedom. Here we go. Uh, so to help our understanding with this whole notion about these strongholds and, and even uh, these things that we build up against God's word, uh, this logical sequence of thinking in our minds in which we're trying to raise up against God ultimately so we can do what we want to do. Uh, did you realize that one of the reasons some people don't want to accept God's word is because they just want to live in sin? They want to do what they want to do, and they're not trying to hear that. Come on, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to get through this now. Genesis 11, 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Huh. Verse 2. And as people migrated from the east... They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, uh, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Right? Okay, so you're trying to say, uh, you're asking me the question, well, what does this have to do with what you're talking about? Well, number one, uh, it was God's purpose to allow them to, to, to populate the earth. This was God's purpose for them. But they came together and said, well, you know what? Uh, we ain't trying to hear that, God. So... Uh, we're just going to make a name for ourselves. We know that there is Yahweh, but what about us? What about me? What about my name? And do you think God let that ride like that? The answer is no. He said, because there is no other name in heaven and earth. There's only one in which every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. So when you are trying to build up something that opposes God's word, God don't like it. These strongholds which are present has as its root the refusal to submit themselves to the leadership of Christ. The devil said, I will make my place higher than God. It is interesting, right, when we look at that passage there in Genesis. Look at it carefully now, right? It's, it's not just a matter of saying that, you know, I, I don't like God's word here, I don't like God's word there, but it more so has to do with what are you doing. So you don't have to say, I don't like God's word, I'm not going to do it. Let me take a look at your life. Your life may tell me or someone else that you are building up a stronghold against the knowledge of God. Better hear what I'm saying. Here are a few strongholds we see in operation. As some people are of the opinion that there is no resurrection of the dead. And they may mock this entire notion. The reason this is rejected is because to them it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, when we go to uh, uh, the story in, in, in Acts 17 
and I preached on this before, the fact that they were mock mocking Paul uh, about there being a resurrection from the dead. In their minds, uh, uh, this, uh, this name, Anastasia, uh, they thought he was talking about a Greek god. They thought he was talking about a lady. They had no idea he was talking about Jesus Christ who had been resurrected from the dead. So therefore, uh, they decided that, uh, some of them decided, I'm not trying to hear that, Paul, uh, because that's funny and that don't even make sense. People oftentimes, they try to change things in order to match what they believe in. Just recently, I think this was two weeks ago, uh, they are, again, if you can imagine, in the theory of evolution, remember it's in all those charts when you're in school, Remember how you used to be a monkey? Oh, that's why I say you, not me. Remember how you used to be a monkey, right? And, and before that, you used to be whatever was running around this earth. And before that, you, you used to be a frog. And before that, you were a tadpole. And before that, you was a single cell. Remember, they said all that. And then they, they started talking about uh, the Homo erectus, right? And Australopithecus afarensis and Australopithecus africanus. Uh, this was back, you know, uh, 10 millions ago here. This is back, you know, 5 millions uh, of years ago here and all this other stuff. And we know this for a fact because we look all this together. Uh, just two weeks ago, they said, uh, we just find another, another human bone, so we need to backdate our chart again by another couple of million years. Jesus, the same in eternity. Another lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God would be those who flat out deny God's word is truth. The serpent said to the woman in Genesis 3, 4, you will not surely die, right? The devil's saying, I'm God. You ain't going to die. Verse 5, for you know that when you eat of it, of the fruit of the tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here is a direct attack on the word of God in favor of pleasing oneself. But... Uh, do we see behind the scenes all those things that are trying to manipulate the situation? It is Satan again getting into the minds of people who clearly knew what God had instructed them. What has God instructed you and are you following it today? Then they tried to convince God that, you know, it really wasn't me. You know, it was the devil, I know what you said, but, and Adam like, well, I know, but, you know, Eve, you know, she looking good. I want to, first, I want to thank you, Lord, all right, because Eve was looking good. I just want to praise the Lord because you brought me this woman, and, and I didn't know, I looked at all these animals, I'm like, what's going on? Uh, but then I saw this woman that you brought to me, God. This woman you brought to me, she was looking good. And then she said, look here. And you know how women can be sometimes. Look here, Adam. I have a piece of fruit for you to eat. Go ahead. Ain't nobody here but you and me. And I can hear Adam stutter. But, 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 but. She's like, Adam. He's like, okay, because. I better go ahead and do what you say because if you leave me, I ain't got nothing but these cows and these horses around here and that ain't happening. 
Moving on. And then there are people who come in the guise of being super Christians or leaders that try to steal your heart away from the Lord uh, and His church to support their ungodly habits of luxury and lust. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. For such men are false prophets, false apostles, super apostles. Right? They got on a cape, and it ain't the, it ain't the cloak of zeal. Deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. So in other words, Paul is saying, you want to see how the devil is working in folks? Just look at their life. We're getting back to that again. Look at their lives. What fruit is their lives bearing before you? You should not be surprised when you go to a place that you just uh, you decided, you know, I, I want to go to church and I just want to feel good all the time, right? I just want to have a good time. I don't want to learn nothing, but I want to have a good time. There are indeed some people who pose as wonderful men and women of God leading a Christ church that are heading down a destructive path of disarray and destruction. Face the facts. There may be a few spiritual places we enter into that may forever change our outlook in a negative way on the possibility of spiritual freedom for the remainder of our life. Possibility of not getting that freedom because of where we are. God's word, it warns us, it warns me to do the same. That even though it looked good, it may not be good for you. Have your mother, father ever told you about these people before? <laughs> oh, son, oh, daughter, oh, man, they look good, but you better not listen to them. Scripture tells us that they disguise themselves like servants of righteousness, but are really serpents, servants of the devil. Finally, it's a quote from Warren Wiersbe, and I quote, The word warfare in 2 Corinthians 10.4 means campaign. Paul was not simply fighting a little skirmish in Corinth. The attack of the enemy there was part of a large satanic campaign. The powers of hell are still trying to destroy the work of God. It is important that we not yield any ground. Don't yield any ground to the enemy. Then he says, not even one church. Close quote. 
will you be willing to submit yourselves to the Lord today? Are you willing to finally let go, and I'm not going to say let God, finally let go, how about and allow the Lord to do the work that he's always wanted to do in your life? Are you willing today? Would you stand with me, please?